0: Welcome to The Mindset Mashup. I'm your host, Michelle Sorrow, TV host on Extra, master brand strategist, author on gratitude, and co founder of Mindset Programs. And I dig deep to bring you closer to your best life in this lively, unfiltered, and heart centered podcast. The Mindset Mashup is a compilation of real talks focused on epic mindset rituals and routines to help you get after your passion and potential. Tune in each Monday for inspirational guests who reveal their mindset must to help you optimize what matters most, self-love, impact, fulfillment. I'm so excited that you're here. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Mindset Mashup. I am super excited about my guest today. This is really exciting because there are so many full circle moments for me by getting to have some of my most... Got incredible guests, including today Scott Harris, CEO and founder of Ultimate Coach and Ultimate Expert, and an incredible mentor of mine throughout an event that was utterly life changing. And I'm going to get into that in just a moment. But I dove in super fast, deep and narrow in this chat, which you'll clearly see in a second. So I wanted to give a brief intro on the legend. For more than 20 years, Scott Harris has been coaching, mentoring, and speaking to individuals, businesses, and large audiences. And we're talking like 10,000 people plus around the world to help them create great success financially, physically, and emotionally. He's dedicated his entire adult life to growth, change, and inspiration. And Scott has worked with many of the world's most influential forces, such as Tony Robbins, Brendan Bouchard, Deepak Chopra, Robert Kiyosaki, Sir Richard Branson, and so many others. And he delivers powerful, profound coaching and mentoring programs around the world. What I love about Scott is that his range of content and expertise is both wide and deep. And I love that he's deeply committed to coaching as a powerful tool to create lasting results and causing massive genuinely measurable shifts in people. He is truly about making a difference on this planet. And I think that you'll see that as we unpack his character and his values and his mindset in this conversation. So this topic is focused on wealth mindset, which you'll see has a very dynamic definition to it. And I just love Scott's way of life. But what I didn't get a chance to mention to Scott during our conversation that I would be remiss if I didn't bring up here is that many of you know, as you've been listening from the beginning, that I am a major Tony Robbins faithful follower. Scott Harris has been sharing Tony's stage with him for over 20 years and was the co-lead facilitator of the Tony Robbins event that changed my life back in December, 2017, called Date with Destiny. And there was a particular moment on day five of Date with Destiny. And day five is called Transformation Day. And that's where, you know, you've been digging so deep, you know, you've shed tears, you've laughed, you've, you've let it all go. You've uncovered blind spots. I mean, it's, it's deeply emotional. It's deeply rewarding, unbelievably fulfilling and can be liberating. I mean, for me, it was where I got my life back. It's where I, completely claimed Do I really am, took 100% responsibility of my life and just owned my power, owned my yes. And it, it was a large part of that happened on day five because it's the values day. And this is the day where Scott is on the stage most of the time. And I just will never forget lights are up. He's got a standing and he just cared so much about us getting this piece because this piece, as he kept saying, was everything coming together. It was the culmination of the past five days. This is Transformation Day, guys. And I just keep remembering his words, his conviction, his belief in us, the power in his message. And it was like, don't sit down. Don't give up. Don't leave the room. Like this is it. If you do this here, you're going to get what you came for and then some. And I remember it was just, it felt so hard. Hard, right? Because I had to be so honest and I had to, I had to self-explore and I had to be so radically authentic in my willingness to be honest about what I was seeing and then what I wasn't seeing and then ask for help. And, and, it, and maybe this sounds a little bit nebulous and vague, but once you go to date with us and you'll totally understand what I mean. But the point is, is that this man had such integrity around every single person getting it. So I remember hearing Scott voice so vividly. I remember seeing him on the stage and thinking he, means this right now. Like I could feel it. Like, don't sit down. Don't give up. I remember see a chandelier playing and tears streaming down my face and looking at Scott. I don't think he ever looked at me, but just knowing that guy had my back because he had everyone's back in the room and there was something about him holding the space. It makes me emotional thinking about it. Him holding the space for us that I knew that I could do it. And it was in that time. I mean, it took several hours and he knows that that part's intense. It's tough. And people want to, you know, kind of skate through it, but he knows that you can't, you can't, if you want so much more out of your life, that was it. That was the moment that we were meeting our destiny. And so I didn't get a chance to share any of that with Scott. And I don't know if he'll actually listen to this, but, I really just wanted to share with you that this man had a massive impact on my life and he is a teacher, he's a leader, and I'm really grateful for him. Wow, I didn't expect to get emotional, but you know, with these it's these people that make these impacts and have these effects in our lives. And sometimes they're not told, but we don't forget them. That is who Scott Harris is for me. He was this unexpected, delightful, amazing surprise at date with destiny. And I can't wait for you to get to know him. So here we go. Enjoy. Scott Harris, welcome to the Mindset Mashup. I am so freaking stoked that you're here.
1: Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here.
0: Well, listen, let's just let everyone know how we met, which I don't even know if you remember, but I was at Date with Destiny, which is a big Tony Robbins Scott Harris marquee event that happens here in the States once a year. And do you remember at all, not to put you on the spot, us having a little moment like on day five when I was looking for my poster board? Oh my gosh. Now you've really put me on the spot. I do not <laughs> remember that ever. Was it at the front of the
1: room somewhere? No, it was at the back of the room.
0: You know, it's okay that you don't remember because I wouldn't have expected that there were like 5,000 people there, but I had lost my little, you know, physical poster board and I was running around looking for it. And I walked up to you and I passed through the security guards and you were kind enough to talk to me. There, were, you know, all the people talking and doing the homework. And I said, can you help me find it? And you said, first of all, just so you know, you don't need it. It's already within you. And it was just such a place of comfort because it was like six days of my entire Destiny right written out on that board And I spent so much time and and tears and it was just the best investment ever But you were like, you know, it's already within you and there was something about what you had said to me That was so soothing and I just owned it and then we just had a nice little exchange and I was I was off I love that. Did you find it? no never found it but it was Doesn't totally matter. within me no yeah. i refer to my life as before and after date with destiny and it is it's just so remarkable wow. and so and that's where i wanted to come in because hey you don't remember the most remarkable week of my life, um, me meeting you in that moment, which is hilarious and so perfect. But so many of my listeners, you know, go to Tony events or would love to go. And when people get to an event like a date with destiny, a business mastery, which is, I was also just at in August and you were there and life and wealth, which are marquee Events around the world. You're on that stage more than half the time. I mean, so when people get to these events, they get to know you from the stage, but I really wanted to lift the veil and get to know you behind the scenes because you're a phenomenal coach. I've given the intro, but I want to lift the hood, so to speak. So you and I talked about mindset. I mean, you're such an exceptional expert in so many different genres, but really where the key is that will unlock so much freedom for people is in money. So let's just dive in. Like, What are your basic tips, tangible takeaways right now? What do people need to be doing to help to optimize their money mindset? Well, firstly, thank
1: you for that great introduction. I'm I'm super excited to be here. And I have taught all of those events. So uh, I love Tony. Tony's a dear friend of mine. That's a Crazy sentence to say from a kid from, trust me, you don't know where I came from, but it's not a great town. I left home at 15 because I'd already had three dads and went to eight schools and lived in 15 houses. And if I fast forward a whole bunch of years to say, oh my gosh, Tony Robbins is a great friend of mine and I teach on stage with him around the world. That's kind of crazy. All those events, life mastery. I taught that for more than 10 years. Wealth mastery. I taught that for more than 10 years. I've been involved in Date With Destiny for more than 10 years a business master. I've been the last 40 business masters around the world. So 40? 40. Oh yeah. my goodness. Wow. So it starts to sink in after a while, but let's chat about money. And I'll tell you why, because I am married, you know, with four beautiful, amazing children. We have a spectacular quality of life, both physically and emotionally. And like I got to tell you, I think money is uber, uber, uber important. It's one of the most important things in your entire life. It, it, it impacts every single other category of your life. Think about your health. Trust me, we're healthy in this house. We only eat organic. We get a bunch of supplements and we have body work and acupuncture. and We've got all sorts of tools and toys in our house with infrared saunas and equipment and machine and cry machines. That all costs money. If you have unhealth, which means disease, trust me, having more money allows you better access to facilities and doctors and resources. So there is no question in the 21st century, money impacts your health. There's no question. That's not even a conversation. Uh, Money impacts your relationship. You know, one of the joys of my life is that my wife, when we had our first child, she made a decision she wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. And so she's been a stay-at-home mom for 10 years. And there is no question that's impacted the quality of our parenting because she hasn't been stressed and overwhelmed with punching out 50, 60 hours in, in a job or a business. It's impacted our relationship because she's not exhausted and tired at the end of the day and is able to connect with me. And we've been able to do that because we've had some financial choices it affects your ability to contribute take care of people, whether that's the community, whether that's, you know, taking care of your family. You know, I just was at my sister's house last week and her entire house has been renovated with new kitchen and new bathroom and new laundry. And my wife and I paid for that because I love my sister and she couldn't afford it. So we're like, screw it. We'll just pay for it. It affects every area of your life. So when people say money doesn't make you happy, I'm like, dude, you're an idiot because <laughs> money absolutely is financial, which means if it's that important, it deserves your level of focus and your level of attention, not for five minutes, not for three years, but it deserves your level of attention for 30, 40, and 50 years. The same as your marriage deserves your attention for 30 or 40 years. The same as your health deserves your attention for 30 or 40 years. Not five minutes, not a week, not how can I make a million dollars in the next five minutes by doing nothing or how can I buy this cool online widget that makes me you know score a million bucks for doing nothing actually focusing your energy and your intention on wealth creation and money and what does it mean to you for a very 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 big significant part of your life that's kind of my starting point for wealth if that makes sense
0: totally makes sense and also you know I mean listen it's it, people know and some don't if you're new to Scott Harris but you teach millionaire mindset you're the millionaire mentor so i want to i want to get into that because you didn't start there i mean you just gave us a snapshot of your childhood so, And I love that Instagram post, by the way, and I was absolutely going to circle back. You did a Flashbook Friday just a couple of weeks ago, and you talked about over 20 years ago and how you signed up for Master University and how it changed your life. Now, back then, which is hilarious, Tony Robbins used to walk around with security detail, which at the time was Joseph McClendon, what? Which is just hilarious, and I'm going to get to my point. But you thanked your mom for helping you get there and then for the person who helped you get the ticket. But I'm assuming that 20 20 years ago was a dramatic difference in your money mindset from where you were then and where you are now. So where did it begin to where you got interested in focusing on the impact that money could make on your life?
1: Look, I grew up with three different dads before I was 10 years old. And all three of them were well-intentioned but poorly skilled. They all sold me the same story. They sold me the same story that said, what you need to do is you need to go to school and get a good education. Then you need to go get a good job. And then if you're going to be a good person and a good son and a good contributor, you need to work a particular way. You need to work hard. That's the story that all three of them told me. Good job, good school, work hard. And then the elite version of that was that if you could eventually get your own business, then that means you'd be rich. Because working class people think that if you've got your own business, you're automatically rich, which of course is stupid, but that's the thought that they have. And so that's what I went and did. So by 25, I already had my own business. I was working 60, 70, literally 80, 90 hours a week when I was 25 years old. And if you looked at me externally, you'd say that I was successful. I had a big house. It was one house off the beach. I couldn't afford on the beach. I was one house off the beach. <laughs> so I drove a Mercedes Benz. I had a dozen staff. I had a big business. But I was working 80 hours a week and I was drinking you know, 30 shots of coffee a day, 30 shots of coffee a day no relationships with other human beings except my staff and my customers. And I was not successful, but I'd created some financial wealth from working 80 hours a week. Let's be clear. You could be a waiter and work 80 hours a week and create some financial success. But my story was that money is hard. My story was that money, you have to sacrifice a lot to get it. And my story was that if you get it, you then have to protect it and take care of it because people want to take it from you. And so money was this big, hard, dua or dower, I think you say in the US, struggle that you just had to battle with. And so eventually I got tired and said, screw it, I'm out. Money's a bad thing, and people who like money are bad people. And so I swung the pendulum completely the opposite direction, grew my ponytail, pierced my ear, <laughs> got the you know, became a vegan. And I said, you know, my life's not about money, my life's about health, and my life's about wellness and spirituality and serving people and damn those people who like money and damn them to hell nation, whatever it's doing. So I swung the pendulum the other way and created a new story. And no surprise, I very quickly had no money. <laughs> and then one day I I started doing something that's probably pretty important. I started hanging out with people and starting to meet some people just by circumstance that did have some wealth and they had a very different psychology and a different mindset to me around what money was for and and how to get it and what to do with it. And so I made an emotional decision to say, you know what? Hey, I'm going to master this thing called money, but from a very different perspective rather than start where most people start, which is they start with, what do I have to do? Tell me the quickest, fastest way to make a million dollars right now. I sort of looked at how I'd done other things in my life that were successful, and I'd heard a sentence that said that success in most parts of your life is about 80% psychology and 20% mechanics. Now, anybody who's read any book from 100 years ago to 2,000 years ago to last week knows that success is 80% psychology, 20% mechanics. Everybody knows that, but they're flippant about it. And they're so flippant about it that they spend all their time looking for strategy. On the 20%. Right. And what they should be doing is spending all their time on psychology. In fact, my billionaire friends, and I have billionaire, that's with a B, billionaire friends, they would laugh at the 80-20 rule and say, dude, it's not 80-20, it's 95-5. Love that. They would say it's 95-5. You look at elite athletes, whether they're basketballers or footballers or swimmers, the difference in their physical ability to run, jump, skip, throw, swim is not that big. But their psychology and their mindset and their ability to bring the right skills at the right time, that is the difference. So they would say the difference in performance is not skill set or strategy, it's psychology and story and mindset and dating. So I made a decision to jump into that. And so I read all the books and did all the work on my story, my relationship, my emotional engagement to this thing called money. And there were some steps to that.
0: So, okay, I want to just unpack just one thing that you said, because this is all so good. Already we've gotten a seminar in 10 minutes. You mentioned that by proximity and by happenstance, which I don't believe in that, and I don't think you do either, but you were around these people that had money, people who had wealth, and you noticed that their psychology was different. Things they were saying, how they were talking, what are some examples of that? So people can start to look for clues who want to get into proximity of that right now because it's all around us, right? So it's like, where can we lean in and start hearing it? There's so much money everywhere, but we have to be open to it. So what were those nuggets that you started noticing and picking up on that were different than what you'd ever learned?
1: So first thing I'd start by saying, I love the universe and I think the universe loves me. And so there's a quick metaphor I love to teach people called feather, brick, truck. And I love what you said. It is all around you. It's all right there in front of us, but you've got to pay attention to it because usually we're not paying attention. We miss it. So my belief is the universe loves me and it's sending me messages all the time and they're gentle little feathers. And those messages could be, you know, a bus goes past me and there's a billboard on the side of it and the words, you know, mean a particular thing to me, or there's a phone call that comes my way, or I hear something on the radio or I read something on the internet. It's like, oh wow, that's kind of pretty cool. But if I miss that feather and I don't pay attention to it and don't respond to it, the universe is like, dude, you missed the message. Well, then the universe is going to send me the same message, but this time wrapped up in a brick. Yeah, like, yes, a heavier message and a more bold message and a more direct. Now, sometimes you might not like the brick. The brick is like, dude, that was not comfortable. That hurt me. <laughs> I didn't like that. That was, you know, that was, you know, either there was, you know, too much month left at the end of my money, or whether it was, you know, we had some cash flow challenges, or whether I had an argument with my spouse or something. It's like. That's a brick. And if you ignore the brick and ignore what caused the brick, then obviously what comes is a truck. So that's kind of my metaphor for that. So yes, it is all around you. Once I made a decision to say, I'm going to choose to master this thing called wealth, I didn't say I'm going to choose to be rich. I said I'm going to choose to master this thing called wealth. It was bizarre. I would be, you know, at a Tony Robbins seminar as a you know, as a crew person, as a volunteer helper, and I turn around to go and you know get somebody a binder or help somebody move a chair. And I'd say, hey, what do you do? And they'd be like, oh, I'm a financial planner. I'm like, oh, we should have a chat. (laughs) Or they'd be like, oh, I'm an accountant, you know, with a a large company. I'm like, oh, I'd love to chat to you. Um, And so all of a sudden, you would just, because the universe provides, I would just, you know, be, be noticing different things on the internet. I would be noticing different things about people that I met. Sometimes, Here's a great sentence. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Sometimes people that were already in my peer group, I start to notice different things about them that I hadn't noticed before because I was now open to that concept of this thing called wealth and maturation and growing and so forth. So sometimes it was with people that were already around me.
0: Yes. Got it. And what's so cool is that you hadn't ever had that model to you, but all of a sudden you were in, you know, as we mentioned earlier, proximity to it. Um, And how, what were, what were some of those distinctions that you then could take to your life and instantly apply?
1: Well, the first thing is you're going to take responsibility and responsibility means it's up to me. Um, People don't like the word responsibility because they think that responsibility means blame. When someone says who's responsible for this, what people hear is Whose fault is this? Um, instead of what the word responsibility means, which means am I responding to this situation with all of my ability? And so the minute you say I am responsible for my wealth, the amount of wealth that I have is completely and entirely my responsibility, not my ex-spouse or my ex-partner or the economy or the president or the prime minister or the whatever. It's I am responsible for my wealth. And so that's the first thing you got to be able to do which means how much money I have is a direct reflection of the work that I've done. Now, people have a big challenge saying that because they're like, no, it's not fair. You don't understand. My, I had a deal that went south or the property market or the this or that. I'm like, I don't give a shit. I'm responsible. And for me, that's very empowering because it means if I'm responsible, it means I'm totally in control of how much I create. So that's kind of that first step. I think the second step is really you've got to go clean some stuff up. There's no point, you know, we used to use this metaphor when I taught health about, you you know, there's no point pouring uh, a clean, beautiful, purified water into a dirty bottle. You've got to clean the bottle out first. So you've got to clean up your old story. So for me personally, I had to go clean up some stuff. I still had some residue of my old story that said, money is bad and money is hard work. And to make a lot of money, you've got to sacrifice your values and you know, you know, know, be dodgy with people and scam them out of their money. And so I had to clean up some of that story. I had some old stories where there were some debts that I hadn't repaid, or I borrowed some money and not cleaned it up. I had to go and clean up some stuff so that I could feel released and unattached from my old relationship to wealth. And that took some work. It took some uncomfortable conversations. It took some real honest realizations. It took some verbalizations that were not pretty and nice to say. But that's called doing the work. If you know Byron Katie's stuff, that that's called doing the work.
0: I love Byron Katie. Yes. And it sounds like that's, and that's an addendum to the first one, right? Like uh, owning your responsibility, like taking complete responsibility. That's part of that, which I love. It's like getting so clear, first of all, on what money means to you, investigating that, um, researching that, um, redefining that um, according to a new blueprint, and then cleaning it up so that you can be a vessel to magnetize more opportunities from a place where you can actually sustain.
1: Totally. And then so I'm not even I wasn't I'm not even in strategy yet, but like firstly owning it, really getting clear on why it's important, how it's going to affect your 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 relationships, whether they're with your family or your spouse, how it affects your parenting, how it affects your contribution, how it affects your health. And really owning how important this this spiritual game of creating wealth is to your life. And so really just owning that really deeply is then cleaning it up and then deciding how do you want to build your wealth? What style of wealth do you want to have? And the analogy I would use is, you know, it's like when you decide you want to be healthy, well, but what does healthy mean? For some people, it means being uber lean and super flexible. For other people, it means, no, being super ripped and super buff. For others, it means, no, I'm super endurance and I can do an Ironman and I can do an ultra endurance athlete thing. It just you got to decide what is your version of wealth now going to look like and, and, and what's it going to be like, and then start on that journey.
0: I love that. Health is wealth. So what does wealth really mean to you? And what style of wealth do you want? Because if you can't take care of your state, right? Because I know that you teach is physicality, you know, optimizing your mental, emotional, physical state. So it's being able to identify what that means to you and then getting after it from there. Because if you don't have health, you don't have anything.
1: Well, I, I, for me personally, I think that health and wealth are exactly the same thing.
0: Yes. Oh, my gosh. They're,
1: they're literally exactly the same thing. Everybody is asking, what do I have to do? If I want to be healthy or what do I have to eat and what do I have to put in my protein smoothie and what do I have to do? And they're all asking strategy questions. And it's the same with wealth. Where do I invest and how do I get into the cryptocurrency? And what's the next crypto? And what, they're all asking strategy questions. And the question is never, ever, ever, what do I have to do? The question is always, who do I have to be?
0: God, that's so good. That, by the way, for everyone listening, this is not just for money, for wealth, and for health. This is for relationships, business opportunities, I mean, everything, right? Like, who do we have to be to attract what we want? Get the bat signal clear so that we can be tuned in to the right frequencies.
1: And then make great choices about deciding how do you want it to be. So do you want a a $10 million business with, you know, 30 staff and three offices? Is that the style of wealth that you want? Do you want um, passive and residual income that's coming from online vehicles—is that the style of wealth you want? How much wealth? What's wealthy? I can remember when I used to think a hundred grand was a lot of money. You said the, I can remember writing down on a date with Destiny Poster a hundred years ago. You know, I want to make a hundred thousand dollars one day, and thinking, "Holy smokes, that's a big chunk of money." But now it's like you know, I, you, we don't even blink at that. And so it's like, what is what do you want your wealth to look like? And then what are you prepared to commit? To making that happen. And I don't mean commit. Most people think that means, well, how hard are you going to work? Um, but what are you prepared to commit in terms of time, in terms of skill set, in terms of learning new um, re- learning new ways of doing things, new resources, new opportunities, um, developing parts of your characteristic that you never developed before? Some folks go, well, you know, I'm not really numbers oriented. I'm not really a numbers kind of person. I'm like, I don't give a shit. You want to be wealthy? You have to learn numbers, so you got to go and learn the psychology of liking numbers and falling in love with spreadsheets and falling in love with charts. And and to say, oh, I don't. It's kind of like saying I don't like numbers is kind of like saying I don't like broccoli. Well, I don't give a shit. You got to eat it. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> exactly.
1: <but laughs> so it's doing all that work before you get into where am I going to invest and wh- wh- what am I going to do and what's going to be my landing page and what am I going to sell to people. that, that that's the
0: last part of the journey. So what I love about this is that the secret weapon to wealth is to optimize your health. You know, it's like to get really clear, first of all, that you got to get your body ready, your mind ready, your emotional state ready, all of it. And then to define your style of wealth. So of course I have to ask you, Scott, what do you want your wealth to look like in the next five years? You mentioned that hundred thousand dollars is now like, Oh, you don't even bat an eye. Um, it doesn't mean we don't respect it. And we're not humbled right to, uh, attracting money generating money impacting lives because of that money earned but what now is uh, what is money like what lights you up when you think of a dollar amount
1: well it's interesting because I'm, I just turned 50 this year and I'm getting ready to take a sabbatical next year so in about 85 days from now uh, I'm taking a year away from my life and I'm going to go live in a small little village in Austria and, and shut down from the world and really seriously yeah absolutely we're, we're getting ready
0: this is the coolest story are you taking your kids
1: the whole wife the family the gang we're all going to a little tiny village in austria where my wife is from and we're going to sit and one of the things not all of the one of the things we'll be chatting about is as a family and for me as a man and for us as a couple is what do we want this next chapter to be about and that'll include finances um because so that's that's one of the interesting questions so um you know, I can remember, and I want to be respectful to numbers. I can remember when $100,000 was a lot of money. I can remember when $1 million was a lot of money. Um, I've got friends who would say to me, Scott, you know, why don't, why don't you have $500 million in the bank? I'm like, whoa, that's a big number, man. Because <laughs> um, that's the limit to my psychology. So the story never ends. Um, I think it's important to work out where is wealth in your values structure And uh, how much do you need? How much do you want? How does that fit in with your other values? So, for example, you know, for the last 10 years, we've been heavily parenting. I've got four children under 10. So we've been heavily parenting. So we literally, I say we because my wife and I are a team, have literally said no to millions of dollars of opportunities in terms of business in the last 10 years because it really just didn't fit in with our parenting model. So I can remember about eight years ago, I got the chance to speak uh, in front of a pretty large audience, about 5,000 people. Um, I was going to be able to sell my own products and services. We probably would have made about you a know, quarter of a million dollars on that day, which back then was a huge amount of money. And um, my wife had just revealed to me that she was pregnant with our second child. And I remember saying to the promoter, listen, thank you for the opportunity, but I'm going to say no. He looked at me. He's like, what? Dude, the other nine people on this stage have all paid me $50,000 just to get on the stage. He said, Scotty, I'm giving you a spot for free and whatever you sell, we're doing a much better split on the back end. What do you mean you're saying no? (laughs)
0: We're handing you something on a silver platter.
1: I said, I got to tell you, here's the deal, buddy. I said, you know, my wife is pregnant and she's about to have our second child. The first one's only 23 months old. I know what's going to happen. If I sell, it's going to go really well. I have to come back in a four week's time and fulfill to these people. We're going to upsell them into something else and then come back and fulfill again. You're going to want to duplicate it in two other cities. I said, that's not the year I've signed up for, buddy. I haven't signed up for that year. I, I, we might make you know a million dollars and I think back then, 10 years ago, I don't think we'd even made a million dollars. Um, I said, I, that's not the year I've signed up for. I said, that's not my focus right now. And so I said, no, much to his incredulousness and but it really served me because it really just helped me get clear on where does wealth sit in my hierarchical structure and then what am I prepared to do to create it? And then how do I create some other opportunities to create wealth that, that were outside my current mindset, my, my current skill set?
0: Bingo. And so what was the answer? And so we just start asking different
1: questions, you know, so we asked, I started asking different questions about, okay, how, do, how can I, you know, make money from home? And so, as I said before, we decided that for the next, you know, five, six, seven, eight years, we were not going to have a big corporate office and not have 30 staff and not do the whole thing. And so we built an office connected to our house and it's got room for, you know, eight or 10 different staff. And so for the last six, seven years, I've worked effectively from home with my team here. We've got a, dozen coaches around the country and we've got staff around the country but my core team is here in my house and that's because i've still got a four-year-old who's hanging out in my household every day and i don't want to be gone i <laughs> want to be able to hear him and go play with him and hang out with him now after next year with our sabbatical that'll be different we'll move the team into a corporate office but it's about looking at chapters and stages so for people want to be wealthy here's what i would say number one you got to decide you want to be wealthy and i mean really decide where wealth sits in your value structure number two you got to go clean up your past whatever that means so whatever residual story you've come with or whatever residual story you inherited from your family or whatever residual story you got from the collapse of your first marriage or your business or whatever you got to clean that up and there's lots of great work you can do to go and clean that stuff up number three and i'd say you got to go find some peers or some mentors that are going to challenge you and hold you to higher standards. And that doesn't mean the people that you like. You know, I think one of the challenges with building your peer group is that in the beginning, you don't choose your peer group. You just, they're, they're a result of circumstances. It's the people you live with or went to university with or you're part of your family, so you don't choose your peers. The second level of consciousness is you start to choose your peers. But the challenge with choosing your peers is that most people choose peers that they like. And they choose them, and they like them because they're the same as them. I remember the
0: time
1: (laughs) a billionaire came to my house. A billionaire, oh my god! I said, Karina, what do billionaires eat? Do we have to get (laughs) special food? Like, (laughs) and he came to my house, and it was one of my kids' birthday parties. And afterwards, he said, Scotty, thank you for inviting me. It was so nice, and you were so kind. He goes, but I tell you, he goes, I can't remember any of your friends' names. I said, how come? He goes, because they all look the same. They're all lean. They're all vegans. They're all eating tofu. All the kids have got weird names, like, you know, uh, all these weird spiritual names. Um, He said, all your friends are the same as you. I was like, yeah. Isn't that cool? He's like, no, not cool. Yeah. He said, your social currency is worth more than your financial currency. Oh, that's so good. He said, you got to go find some friends that disagree with you and are not like you. And he goes, it's not going to be as a fun afternoon. They're going to confront you and challenge you on your beliefs and your mindset, but you need some people in your life that are going to not agree with you. like, damn, that's going to be hard work. And so I then set about building a peer group and a network of people that have very different philosophies to me around money, wealth, income, perspective, and so forth. And it challenges you and it's uncomfortable and it means you argue and it means you get challenged and it means you have to reinvent yourself as opposed to choosing a peer group of people with exactly the same values as you, we're like, well, we all get along because we all have got such similar values and such similar mindsets and so forth. That's so good. Go build that social currency is kind of important, and then you've got to get to work. <laughs> oh, there is that. <laughs> and then you've got to get to work. You know, if you've ever seen that film, The Secret. I don't know if your listeners have ever seen that film, The Secret, but I feel like it's the stupidest, dumbest film on earth. And I said you, <laughs> I liked its intention, and I liked its message. It says the universe is there to serve you you to tap into it, but I'm waiting for part two of the movie, which is the work, right?
0: The actual action.
1: Someone's got to go knock on some doors, man, and make a hundred phone calls and, you know, send a hundred emails and do a hundred bits of hustling and go put some, go add some value to people and do the work. And that means keep learning new skills, new strategies, new tools, and learning to become whoever you need to become to create the wealth that you both desire and deserve. And that, that journey goes on forever because the minute you get to a certain level and whether that level that level is a number so you i made a hundred grand or you made half a million bucks or you made a million bucks or you made five million bucks or it is when you get to that number there there's an, a there's a, a psychology that needs more addressing and cleaning up because to get to the next level it's going to take a new skill set and a new psychology and that journey i think you know never ends
0: it's beautiful now talking about next level i mean you kind of dropped this major bomb about this one year sabbatical to go be with your family your chosen tribe and by the way the names of your children are so incredible um i have them here but i want to hear you say them
1: i have uh my boy my oldest boy's name is wisdom and that for us comes from the serenity prayer about uh Grant me the strength to change that, which I can grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot. And then grant me the wisdom to know the difference. I think the whole dance of life is to know when am I supposed to push and make stuff happen? And when am I supposed to let go and say, all right, that's up to God. I, I, I that one's, that's just going to be the way that it is. So his name is wisdom. Uh, we have two beautiful girls, grace and faith, who are just beautiful shining lights. Uh, and then we have a little boy. Uh, his name is four. And uh, his name is Justice. And again, for us to be just is to be to be good and true and right, and um, and to make great decisions. So um, we're very blessed by them. And it's great parenting. I think it's the it's uh, parenting is the second coolest gig that you could ever have on the planet.
0: What is the first greatest gig?
1: Oh, that being married. Oh,
0: you know, it's so funny because I was looking at your bio and it's so beautifully written and there's so many incredible significant significant accomplishments. And then at the end it says your greatest love is your wife, Karina, and being a father to your four children. Um, and I just love that. How did the two of you meet? We met at law school, can you believe? We, um, we uh, I
1: went to law school as a mature age graduate and she was there as a graduate from her psychology degree. First day, first class, we had a a contract law professor and uh, they said, uh, you guys need to go form study groups. If you don't form study groups, you're all going to fail. She asked if she could join my study group. I said, no. Um, (laughs) Why? Well, because I was there to be very serious and I was there to be very focused on my law degree. And um, she was quite a young girl. I'm like, yeah, no, that's not, not going to work for me. I want to get some
0: other <laughs> I'm not getting distracted by you. The
1: universe has got a different plan. Turns out she ended up in my study group anyway because she was friends with somebody else. First day, first class, we're doing our first group assignment. We are the only two group out of about eight, nine people that pull out. This will be weird. We pull out a homemade lunch everybody else had, you know, cafe food and burgers, food and and takeaway food in boxes and cartons. We both had like, you know, I think I had like a leftover stir fry with tofu and veggies and she had some other thing going on. And so we chatted about food and we chatted about health and we chatted about family because we both valued things to do with health and family. And so we became very firm and fast friends. And so we did our entire law degree together. She was dating somebody, I was dating somebody, not my type physically, I was not her type physically, zero chemistry, no attraction, but very, very dear friends. In fact, I used to say to her, oh my gosh, you're going to make somebody an amazing wife one day. You're kind, you're funny, you're smart, you're strong on family, personal growth, great spirituality, you're amazing. And um, and she would say similar things to me about being a great husband and a great dad, but zero chemistry, no spark. And so we really had this beautiful chapter of being friends, genuine friends, before uh the attraction and the chemistry and all those things and so that was gosh i don't know 15 16 years ago now
0: okay wait so you're like bffs and you share common values and belief systems and you have a lot in common um that goes on for what three years
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay. And so then where's that shift? Because there's people listening right now to like, gosh, if I could just make that shift from being unattracted to my non-type best friend that I love and admire to being happily married and living like Scott and Karina, how did you, how did you lean into that shift?
1: I I met the girl that she was the one and um and i met her and she was everything that i never envisaged and dreamed and written down about and, and put on my fantasy board and wrote in my journal and so forth and i met her in fact on the first day i went oh my gosh you're the one i called her the one and and, and my all my friends and family were like oh my gosh we've never seen scott so besotted and oh my gosh he's incredible and you know i took her to fiji to go meet tony and six months in, it was one of the very first times I had dinner with Tony 101. He said, hey, how's your girl? How's your lady? He always says, lady. He can never remember anybody's name. And uh, <laughs> how's your lady? And I said, well, to be honest, buddy, it's a disaster. And he's like, what do you mean? I thought she was the one. I said, me too. He said, well, where's your list? Where's your journal? I said, and I'll go get it. So I literally ran back to my little bure. In Fiji, it's like a little house. It's a little bourree. your little little grass hut. I got my journal and got my, you know, my manifestation of who I wanted to bring to my life. And I showed him the list. And he said, well, here's the challenge with your list. Your list is upside down. I said, what do you mean? He said, your list is upside down. Got my list. And my list had, I was a guy, so I was a young man and I was a guy. And so my list had a lot of physical attributes at the top of the list. (laughs) Oh <laughs> and then had some other stuff down the bottom to do with like, you know, spirituality and family and health and whatnot, but a lot of physical things in the first ten things. And so he literally got my journal, we we're sitting on a little table and chairs in Fiji, and he turned the list upside down and he said, he said, Go find this person. And I literally was like, Whoa, that's like you know, when you have your paradigm completely shifted. Yes. And I, I was just like, okay. And so I knew the first thing I had to do, and that is I had to clean up the relationship I was in and just and get out of that and end that. So I did that. And literally, like within, I don't know, like a week, I was literally just, I literally physically bumped into Karina. We were just at the university, just tidying something up. We both had finished university and moved on. And we just both happened to go to the university on the same day to clean some up some paperwork and stamp some forms and whatnot. And we bumped into each other and boom, done.
0: I mean, so Cinco Destiny stepped in several times to make that happen. Well, I had to take the coaching on board, though, first. So, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 for sure. You weren't ready, but neither was she, right? Like, don't you believe in divine right timing to some degree?
1: I think that, um, well, neither of us were at a stage of consciousness or evolution where we were able to be attracted to each other in, in that space cuz you know when you talk about finding the one here's where you find the one you find the one in the bathroom above the sink where the mirror is and you look in the mirror that's the one yes, so yes. that's the one when people say i'm looking for the one i'm like dude go, go go look in the mirror because the one means are you ready to be the person that you need to be not the person you want to be the person you need to be to make that relationship happen and it's the same thing for wealth Big it's not distinction. about who do i want to be. Who do I need to be? And if you understand, anybody here has been to date with Destiny, if you haven't, firstly, y'all should go. Secondly, if you have go, here's a million dollar question for you right now. People often say, you know, well, what are my values? And everybody answers this question the same. They'll say, well, I value health, love, God, and family. Whatever, who cares? Um, <laughs> and I say that with respectfully, but that's of what course. everybody says. Of course. Here's the question that's more important. What do my values need to be in order to become the person I want to become. So what do I need to start valuing that in the past I haven't valued and maybe I don't even want to value in order to become the person I want to become? And I'll give you an example. So for me, when I started to be wealthy, my experience of meeting wealthy people was that they were um, very respectful of money and they were – they, were, they knew their numbers, so they had spreadsheets, and they did their taxes, and they paid their bills, and they did their pension funds, and they followed through, and they documented things, and they, they had systems of procedures. Like They respected the energy of money to, to know where it was and how to control it and look after it. I did not. And so I added to my list of values the word thoroughness, and that's like the least sexy word you're ever going to heard. Like, this guy's going to be thorough? Wow, that's exciting. But what I wanted to learn was the value of, you know, paying bills on time and doing my insurance and doing my taxes and doing my spreadsheets and charting my money and charting my expenses and really just honoring the energy of money and not letting it slip through my fingers. You know We all have a story of the person who made 100 grand but spent 110. And so I added this value called thoroughness to my top five values, and that was a case for me, I think, of deciding what values do I need to have in order to become the person I want to become.
0: Now, let me ask you this. The, for the people who haven't been to a date with Destiny, which you know I've mentioned, it was just utterly life-changing. There is no way to describe it. You got to just go do it. Um, who, are your values in the order and sequence that they are, are they the same for wealth, health, and relationships? It's all the same. It's a blueprint for Scott Harris. Ask me the question again. Uh thoroughness being in one of your top five values and we're talking about wealth mindset right now and you know Who do you need to be right? So you you restructured a non-sexy value You didn't want it up there. There's nothing alluring about that But it was critical for what you needed to get to the next level Would you say thoroughness is also a value that's critical for relationship to be the quality that it is with karina? It wasn't for me it's in, in something in, in my relationship I needed
1: because I already had a great story and great psychology around that. But I could certainly see and have seen in my private coaching clients how it has been an important thing that they've needed to bring into their life.
0: Mm-hmm. No doubt about it.
1: You know, one of the things that's important about personal development for all of us is that, you know, and this is why I think coaching is so valuable. Uh, and I don't say that because I am a coach, I say it because I believe coaching is so valuable, is that there are subtleties and nuances to everyone's journey. And everybody doesn't get steered and, um, and um, um, mentored in the same way. There are different things that are required for different people's journey. And then there's even with, for individual people, there's different things that are required for different chapters. What I need now at 50 is very different to what I need at 40. And I'm hoping that what I'm going to need at 55 and 60 is different again
0: hmm Now, speaking of what you need at 50 and going into your one-year sabbatical in, uh, in Austria, um, do you plan on coming back and teaching all of Tony's programs, for example, and all the other work that you've been doing as a speaker around the world after that? Or is, or is this the, the year to figure all that out? Uh, let, let's stand
1: by. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> okay, you got know,
1: it. Tony's a dear friend of mine, so he's pretty powerful and pretty persuasive. We've had more than one conversation in our lives where I went in with one outcome and I came out with a different result. Um, (laughs) um, And I certainly love his impact on my life. He's been probably the most significant man in my life, including all three of my dads. Um, So I have committed to still doing four significant events for Tony next year um, in my sabbatical. Okay,
0: I got it. In addition to the sabbatical.
1: So I'm going to do four different things for him through the year. He wanted nine, so we've agreed on four. And, um, and, um, and then we're just going to stand by and see what happens in the next, uh, 12 months from now.
0: It's quite magical what you do up there. I was talking with Joseph McClendon a couple of weeks ago and both of you, the Tony time and how you dance around that and how you, you know, lead with just enough, like, oh, an hour should get us through, but wait, it turns into five hours. I've got you. You know, it's like, you know, this is, it's so remarkable what you do and that you get to share that stage and then the impact that you're making. Um, I'd love to know about your rituals, routines, and resources. I know that Tony's a big mentor, but in order for you to keep your mindset optimized, right? And like to get after with clarity and also what aligns with your heart and your values that you talked about earlier. What are some of the rituals and routines that you do on a daily basis that some of our listeners could apply to their lives immediately?
1: Well, firstly, i must say I love the word you use, rituals. Um, and I've seen that used a number of times on your blog posts and podcast posts, because I think it's a much more important word than habits. People are often looking for habits. And I don't like habits because they're unconscious. I like rituals because they're deliberate. So, I remember going to a, a, a wedding um, for some friends of mine and the lady getting married was, um, they were both in the military um, and they were, so they were very precise. And she was uh, from China, Hong Kong, China. And they did a tea ceremony before the wedding, but the tea ceremony took 30 minutes to make a cup of tea. And I was fortunate to have somebody next to me explaining what every single Move at the tea ceremony meant so every turn of the cup and every pour of the pot and every movement of the spoon and every fold of the napkin all had a symbolism and a deliberate intent behind it. I thought, wow, that's not how Westerners drink fucking tea. Um, (laughs) and so I just so I think your life should be deliberate. So I think you should have morning rituals that are deliberate and intentional. You should have rituals when you get into your office that should be deliberate and intentional you should have rituals when you leave the office and walk into your home to play with your children or be with your spouse and they should be deliberate and intentional there should be a a ritual for when you're you know getting ready to go to sleep at night if you're going to sleep for six or seven eight hours there should be a ritual that you do to get ready for that you should be preparing yourself for the next chapter you're going to be and i think the ability to switch hats throughout the day from lover to money creator to coach to dad to spouse to friend to athlete is a really important skill set and i think having rituals physical rituals verbal rituals um is it auditory rituals if you like music are really important to make sure you're switching hats because the ability to switch hats quickly and completely throughout the day is really important you know if i get off stage in front of you know 5,000 people, and then you know, catch a flight home and then walk in the door. My four year old doesn't care that dad was on stage in front of 5,000 people, he cares about that dad is on his hands and knees building Lego. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: And and I, you don't get an hour to decompress, it's like, dude, you need to switch hats right now, um, you know, um, or whatever it happens to be. So, so big fan of rituals. So, certainly, there's a lot, to, there's health rituals, there are um, gratitude rituals in the evening. Like? So, like, I, I'll do a little fifteen-minute meditation before the end of the day uh, at nighttime. Usually, somewhere between I don't know, gosh, last night was probably about ten o'clock. Um, there'll be a fifteen-minute little meditation that is just about a relaxing and calming my body, which is the physicality of preparing it for sleep. But also, the focus for those fifteen minutes is on being gratitude, being grateful and blessed for everything that happened in my day, everything we have in our life, everything that's transpired. Yes, and just basking in that glory. Of, of, of that now i also do some nutritional things at nighttime to prepare for sleep which is ritual so i might do a hot sauna in a infrared sauna we'll do some magnesium we'll do some lavender oils things that are they're olfactory so smelling rituals to prepare for a valuable sleep hmm, interesting does that make sense so yes. you wake up in the morning people wake up in the morning holy smokes the first thing they do is they turn their phone on They're like, people are in bed with their eyes closed and their hand is flapping around on their bedside table
0: trying to find their phone. Scrolling. And then just to scroll through social media, like not even, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy.
1: You You got blue light coming into your eyes first thing in the morning and you got other people's agenda, other people's information, other people's noise. Like you should not be looking at technology for the first 60 minutes of your day. That first 60 minutes should either, A, if you've got someone in the bed beside you, you're lucky enough to have someone Then you should probably be giving them some attention and some time and some energy, whatever that happens to look like. You should be, once you're out of bed, you should be giving your body some attention and time to get it ready for the day, whatever that is, whether that's skin brushing or whether that's, um, you know, um, jumping on a mini trampoline or doing some yoga or doing some breathing. or uh, There's a million ways to work out, whatever that is, giving it some nutrition. You should be giving your mind... 25-30 minutes of focus about what do you want the day to be about what's important to you, why are you here what's your vision, what's your mission you should be doing that before you go, gee I wonder what's happening on Facebook um, <laughs> you, know, um, you know just to get so lots and lots of rituals and I'm a big fan of rituals Now, my wife will say that sometimes I might take it too far and become a little inflexible because I like things the way I like them and so I do get <laughs> Gentle reminders from the universe sometimes to be a little bit flexible and be a little bit playful, but you know, holy smokes, man! R- rituals, uh, you know. I like sports. I'm a guy, so I watch Roger Federer play tennis, the greatest athlete on the planet by far. And <clears throat> every time he serves the ball, it's the same ritual. You know, it's it's the same. You get you get to be the best tennis player in the world by doing the same rituals every time. When I watch Tony come out from behind the black curtain on stage. I see him do the same thing. I've been watching him do the same ritual for 20 years before he comes out from behind the black curtain. It never changes.
0: What is your favorite flavor of exercise? Because I know that you used to be, and maybe you still are, um, an elite Ironman triathlete, um, which is just incredible. But is that when you were studying law? That was before that period of time.
1: And feels like 100 years ago here's what i'd say about health and that's been a big journey for me is to keep um revisiting what is it your what does your body need right now so what my ego would like to do right now is because i still feel like i'm a 30 year old man is what my ego would like to do is it like to it would like to go run you know 10 15 kilometers a day which is 10 miles a day um but my body at 50 just doesn't want to do that and even if I could make it do that, the consequences and the costs on other areas of my life would be too significant. So um, I need to put my ego aside and go, what does my body need and how do I need to best serve it in a way that doesn't then impact the rest of my life and, and the rest of my primary vehicles? Does that kind of make sense?
0: So you're doing kangaroo yoga? I do lots <laughs> I've certainly had that. You've seen the goat yoga here in the States, right? I figured there must be like, there must be Joey yoga going on over there in Australia. There are versions of that. (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah, I do a lot of very short, high intensity interval training stuff that I can do. This will sound weird, but because of what I'm doing next year with being on the road, I'm learning to work out on a little tiny mat that is, you know, two meters by three meters. So whatever awesome. that is is, eight feet by six feet. Mm-hmm. And I'm learning to use bands and straps to just be able to work out with my body weight, doing high intensity stuff, you know, 30 seconds on, 10 seconds off, 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off, because I want to be able to make sure I can maintain my body and work out while I'm in an Airbnb, while I'm in a house on a village somewhere in Austria and don't have maybe the resources I might normally have. Um, and my really at 50, my health is not my primary focus. And I say that respect to my health. We're healthy and you know, we, we eat clean, organic and, and and so forth, but it's kind of like we've got so many years of collateral experience in that category, we don't consciously put a lot of effort into it. It just happens. Like, you know, um, not to be colloquial, but you know, koala bears, if you know what they are, they don't wake up in the morning and say, gosh, what am I gonna eat today? They just they eat what they eat. Um, you know, a lion doesn't wake up and go, gosh, am I going to have a muffin today? Or am I going to have pancakes? It just lions eat what they eat. And so after, I don't know, gosh, 30 years of being health conscious right now, my spouse and I don't really put a lot of energy and effort into being healthy. We kind of just already are.
0: So you put in more interest and focus in on um, the exercise part of your health?
1: Well, again, we just kind of just do it, if that kind of makes sense. It's like, it's just like, I mean, you don't think it's about It's a brushing. way of
0: life, right.
1: You get up every day and you brush once in the morning and floss once in the morning and you brush and floss once at night and you might miss two times a year when you come home because you had too many beers. But otherwise, you kind of hit the other 362 days um, and you don't really put a lot of emotional effort into it. You've just mastered that skill set. And there's other skill sets, obviously, we haven't mastered, so we're still working on those. And like? Like we, I mean, we've been parenting for 10 years and we've done the physical – category of parenting so we're out of diapers and we're out of feeding and they can all dress themselves but now we're getting ready for the the psychological chapter of parenting which is you know from 8 to 20 so we're getting
0: ready for that (laughs) <laughs> Nothing like taking them on the road, right? And letting the world help educate them as well. I think it's so incredible. It lights me up to hear about your sabbatical. And and secretly, I'm really happy for all the people that will go to some of those Tony events that still get to see you. Um, I have to ask, I'd be remiss, how did you come across Tony for the first time? My
1: mom was a crazy lady Um, We were, you know, (laughs) drinking, you know, powdered soy milk in the 70s. We were eating wheat germ and, you know, mung bean sprouts when everybody else was still eating white bread and, you know.
0: My mom, too. Wheat grass growing in the garage, compost pile in the backyard, like goats that we would milk in in our tract housing backyard. Yeah, all of it. It's just Just very bizarre, right?
1: Somehow she got herself to the very first Tony Robbins event in Australia ever. Wow. And um, she'd had a long career with IBM. She had, had some significant s- success for a lady. Remember, I mean, this is the 1970s, back when she was with IBM. Um, she was, you know, high up nationally here in the country in Australia. Um, she'd retired. Um, she'd gone to live on a little farm in the outback um, and um, somehow got to this thing called Tony Robbins. And in the next 12 months, she sort of reinvented herself and she got involved in real estate and became deputy mayor of her town and started traveling the world. And I was like, mom, you're old. I mean, you're 50. What are you doing? <laughs> so I was 25, right? 24 right. or something. And, and I, I, so I thought 50 was old. So, and, I, and I also knew what the world was about. It was about good job, work hard, get your own business, work 80 hours a week, buy a big house, buy a big car. That's what I'd been told Right? I was 25 years old. So that's what I was doing. And I'm watching my mom spend hundreds of thousands of dollars and use all this weird language and hug everybody. <laughs> and showed me your 20-year poster, like you had your day poster. And I'm like, mom, you're 50 years old. You don't need a 20-year plan. That's ridiculous. Now, before you all start throwing things at the podcast <laughs> machine, I'm now 50. So I understand the <laughs> cuteness and the humor of God's path and God's plan. And so I went to the second ever Tony Robbins event in Australia. Um, I don't know, 25, 26, 27 years ago, not to improve my business, not to see the world's best coach and trainer, not to heal any of my obvious childhood wounds, but I went there to save my mum right. that she had joined.
0: Oh my God, that is so awesome. So, what happened?
1: You converted. You know, I sat there for three and a half days and I didn't really clap very much. I didn't really cheer very much. And I certainly didn't share my private information with anybody. And I certainly wasn't going to hug anybody. And I certainly wasn't going to clap. I was a businessman. That was all stupid stuff. So, I went home and nothing changed. And about a year later, for anybody who's under 30, you won't know what this means. But about a year later, a brochure came in the mailbox. advertising but tony was coming back to australia one more time and so i know now why i went back i didn't know then um and so i went back so i went back to the seminar called unleash the power within the firewalk seminar and this time i kind of got knee deep so i clapped a little bit i would i'd hug the attractive women but not the unattractive people (laughs)
0: Uh,
1: i shared a little bit of my stuff but i didn't share my deep personal stuff you know I, I, i clapped a little bit but not too much and I went back and I was excited about my life for about a week and then just got consumed by my life again. And I had businesses and staff and retail stores and so forth. And I just had stuff in my life. A year later, the brochure came in the mail again. Tony Robbins coming back to Australia one more time. And so I did it a third time. And this time I kind of got waist deep and I you know, clapped and cheered. And that was kind of cool. And I was pretty excited about it. But again, not much change in my life. And then the fourth time, four, one, two, three, fourth time, I went to um, – <laughs> to UPW. I had a great opportunity to meet a man who, you know, really loved me enough to call me out on my BS and convinced me to go to a thing called date with destiny. And it was we Maui and it was the biggest one ever. We had 250 wow. people in the room. Wow. two We're about to do one in December with 7,000. Is and it going to um, be
0: 7,000? Wow. Cause last year I'm it hearing. was 4,500 and that was the that's, biggest by far.
1: That's what I'm hearing. It's incredible. And, uh, so I went to day with destiny, and then that was the beginning of consciousness. And I say beginning of consciousness with very cautious eyes towards the universe, waiting for the universe to say, oh, really? You think you're conscious? Let's see about that. Um, so it was the very, very beginnings of starting to wake up a little bit.
0: Okay. So, but then how do you go from you're now there, you are in, you're fully in, you're at date with destiny. It's, it is a truly life-changing experience. If you go in and you play full out and then you take action when you, when you leave, i mean, bottom line, but how do you go from there to then being on a stage and working with him and partnering in and becoming friends with Tony?
1: You just hit it on the money, man. Like I, I just I went and used this stuff in my life. So I went and cleaned up my past relationships. I went and found my biological dad who I hadn't seen since I was one year old. I went and met him and cleaned all that up. I cleaned up money stuff. I cleaned up health stuff. I cleaned up my wounds. Like I just I went and did all the work. You gotta do the friggin' work. So I had tough conversations with people, I had tough conversations with myself. I started applying things, I started focusing. So I, I applied all the skills and tools I was learning and and not just from Tony, but from other stuff as well. And so it showed up in my life. And so I started to show up at Tony events as a volunteer and a, and a, and a helper and eventually a trainer, which some of you know what that means, like a, a qualified helper at Tony's events. And one day we were at an event. It was a small event for about 400 people in um, in, uh, in, in, uh, in Singapore and um, they got this little fun game at this event called the wheel it's a bit of a dancing cheering kind of experience for those of you who don't know what it is it's awesome. and the guy who was meant to lead the event was sick and he couldn't do it and so they they asked me to do it so i jumped on stage with you know a minute's notice and did the thing and people liked it literally a week later i was again a bit of a theme here today i was at date with destiny at the time the biggest one ever it was about 2000 people in the bahamas and i get a knock on my door at about midnight on like the second or third day, and it's one of Tony's team, and she says, "Hey, Tony wants to know if you can open the show tomorrow." <gasps> and I was like,
0: "What?" Come I just on. got the chill all over my whole body, and,
1: and I was a brand new trainer. That's what they call that's like I was a you know like a qualified volunteer helper, and um, I thought they were you know hazing me. I thought they were gagging me. I thought people were making fun of me or whatever. I'm like, "Okay, fine, whatever you say." And so she handed me this big, huge you know, four inch thick binder and said, great, you got to learn this content and you're on stage at 9am and you're on. And I was just young enough and just naive enough to not really understand the, the, the gravity of the situation. So I, I'm a worker. So I sat up and read the whole binder till like three in the morning. I was smart enough to go downstairs literally in my box of shorts and t-shirt. <laughs> the room, the venue was still being cleaned by the hotel staff. I walked all around the stage and went, wow, this is really a big stage. Um, and I put, asked, I put the headphone on and whatnot, the headsets, and I just walked around and got to fill the room. It was by 6 a.m. in the morning now. I went upstairs and got changed and showered and came back downstairs and, and did the event and I mean, this is how long ago it was. They gave me a copy of that morning and I still have it. It's on VHS.
0: <gasps> VHS. Okay, wait a second. Wait, hold on a second. And I, and, and I really want to respect your time. So we're about to wrap. I have one more question for you after this. This is like so amazing. Um, so, so many people have opportunities all the time, but they're too scared to say yes. And sometimes they let the fear hold them back. You, though, and uh, virtually everyone that I bring on this podcast has some sort of big moment like that that was a life-changing decision, right? They might not have known it in the moment, but they said yes to something that even scared them. I'm, I'm assuming that you had some fear, right? When they knocked on the door at midnight and you're like, think you're settling in for the night. And had you been on a stage before outside of spin the wheel?
1: Never in my life.
0: So I mean, obviously Tony in saw something capacity. in you, but I mean that's incredible. So are you experiencing any fear, or because you're young and you've got the the gravitas and you know some young confidence, you're like, I got this. Or, or now, of with course you're books.
1: feeling fear. fear okay. Of course you're feeling fear. Fear is a good thing. I feel fear even today still when I go and do gigs. I still feel fear when I'm signing a three million dollar contract to buy some more property. I feel fear all the time. Fear is a good thing. Fear, I mean. Here's your body saying, Hey dude, pay attention. Read the contract. Hey, dude, make sure you're prepared. Hey, dude, make sure you look both in my country left and right before you cross the road. Yeah. <laughs> I like fear is a good thing. I love you fear too. Thing, yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, but you want to manage the fear and not have fear get in the way. And I think the way to do that, and this is one of the great lessons from Tony, is it's impossible. You know, in the work I do teaching people to become coaches and speakers, I say to them, It's impossible to have fear. It's impossible for there to be darkness where light exists and even one tiny candle can make all the darkness go away. So for me, the light, when you're teaching, when you're serving, when you're giving is who can I serve? And the minute you stop focusing on me and my slideshow and my presentation and my sales pitch and my opportunity and what am I getting and how does it work for me and blah, 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 blah. And you go to who's here and how do I serve and what do they need? and, and, what skills or resources do we need to bring to serve these people or this person? The minute you do that, you turn the light on, and when the light comes on, it makes the darkness go away. And and that's true in your business. It's true in your relationship. It's true in your parenting. Um, the minute you step into, and I'm not trying to sound like a, you know, whatever, a saint, but if your life is about service and truly about serving the person in front of you, including you and your listeners right now, then 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 grace shows up. And when Grace shows up, you know, all sorts of cool things happen that are way out of my skill set to explain. So I would say that.
0: I love that. Um, Okay. So you're on the stage for the first time and you clearly rocked it and then you were asked back and it's been over 20 years.
1: And it just turned into a multi, 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 multi-million dollar business and career with other people and other speakers and so forth. And to the point where we have our own coaching business, our own speaking business, our own business, and to the point where it's a little bit problematic still having my relationship with Tony, but I love him. He's been a great impact in my life. And so I, I still go back and still serve and, and take care of him and contribute to him. It's my way of giving back to him and, and, uh, and supporting his amazing, amazing mission and an and amazing vehicle.
0: Well, it's just incredible, and like I said, I mean, you left a, an indelible an indelible imprint on my soul at Date with Destiny. You were just such a huge piece of my journey. I just I remember spinning the wheel. I remember moments when you had to wrangle the stage, which is like herding cats, you know, and get four thousand five hundred of us to be present. And 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 there were there were times it was very clear that you were on the fly, right? Like, and you just you owned who you are, and you own that stage. And and it all came from a place of contribution. And then I saw the same thing. I didn't know that you were going to be at Business Mastery. I'm new to the live events of Tony. And when I saw you, it just felt like a you know an old friend and no pun intended. Um, a young a young soul wise <laughs> friend. And uh, and I just salute you for all that you do and how you show up um, for us. Um, and how you serve so many coaches, so many people, how you serve your family, uh, your extended family, what you're going to do next year. I just think it's so epic. Um, which brings me to my final question. So the whole point of this podcast, which by the way, was inspired at date with destiny. And I said, Oh, hell no, I'm never doing a podcast. I could never do that. I don't want to be that real. What would I talk about? Who do I think I am? Ego stepped in and it was like, Oh, you have to right?" Tony always says, if you can't, you must, um, So this podcast has become like this crazy, beautiful gift to my listeners and to me. But the whole point of it is I wanted anyone and everyone to get a sense of what I experienced after Date with Destiny and then applied and took tons of action, cleaned up my life on every level. And now my fulfillment, not perfect, not every day, but it's it's like 99% a different universe. And I wanted people to have a sense of that with every guest that came on to have a tangible takeaway. That said, the whole podcast is driven for a purpose of giving people a better sense of fulfillment. How would you describe fulfillment for you?
1: Oh, easy peasy. Living your values. You know, when people come to me for one-on-one coaching and I say to them, great, what are your values? And they tell me what their values are. I say, great, send me your planner, your schedule, and your last 90 days of financial statements. They're like what? I'm like you've just told me your values are health, love, family, and God. Great, send me your calendar and your (laughs) last ninety days because I want to see where is your time and your money gone in the last ninety days. God, that's so good because that's going to tell me what your values really are. So for me, for fulfillment is easy. I don't care what people value. I don't care what people value. But if you say you value A, B, C, and D then by heck, you better be spending your time, your money, and your focus. That's all you got, your time, your money, and your focus on the three to five things that you said matter most. And for me, nothing feels as good. Talk about fulfillment. Nothing feels as good. No, no Italian leather furniture, no beautiful <laughs> European car, no you know, three-carat diamond ring. Nothing feels as good as doing what I said I was going to do. And so if I say I'm going to do this, go do it. If I said I'm going to be a, a person that lives like this and values that, go do it. Um, so that's my answer.
0: Okay. But now I have to clean this up a little bit for everyone listening because I know they're like, she, she better ask. You've, you've uh, talked about your values, your top values and thoroughness being in the top five and now fulfillment, living your values out loud, right? Um, to be measured. What are some of those values? For me, I got five.
1: And they are every day to love and adore my spouse. That's my number one value every day. To love and adore and make sure she's cherished. She's the most important person on the planet. Number two, to continually love and adore and add value to my children and make sure that they are allowed to turn into who they're meant to turn into. So parenting is my second value. Number three is to love and adore my clients, the people that come into my life, both my internal clients, which is my staff, and my coaches. And my external clients, people I get to teach and reach and and connect with, even the people here on your your podcast. That's number three. Four is to love and appreciate my body. It's not mine. It was given to me. It came perfect. I got anything that's wrong with it, I caused. So I got to love and adore and take care of my body because it belongs to my children. It belongs to my wife. It belongs to my unborn grandchildren. I got to take care of it. And number five, I got to feed and nurture my mind, either through books or meeting people or going to Tony Robbins seminars or doing something. And that's kind of my top five values. They're my top five things. You'll notice that thoroughness is now out of that list because I, when I was 40 and I've now mastered that skill. So it kind of got, it got retired. It means we've kind of mastered that skill and it's moved aside, if that kind of makes sense. Yes. And that's my top five areas of focus, which means, you know, don't ask me about logistics. Don't ask me how to change a light bulb. Don't ask me how to, (laughs) you know. I, we, I was having, there was a handyman, there was a contractor in my house yesterday and he was installing something in my office. He said, do you have a handy back, like a little mini vacuum cleaner? And I just looked at him and said, I said, with respect, I said, I have no idea if it's not my job. I'm going to go ask somebody else. Cause I, I don't know if I have one of those in my house. That's, that's Belinda who's the cleaner. That's her job, not mine. May <laughs> I, I don't know. So I don't know lots of things But those five things, my spouse and my children and my customers and my body and my mind, I I know a lot about those five things. If you look at my calendar, if you look at where I spend my money, I'm spending my money and my time on those five things and those five things alone.
0: And clearly you'll be living it and I can't wait to live vicariously through you. Hopefully you'll be posting more in social media. Um, okay. For those who want to reach out to you, you offer so many incredible programs. Um, some one-on-one coaching for qualified, uh, um, prospects and, uh, other training programs. And you have so much, so many incredible free goodies on your website. Where can we reach you? They can find me at Scott
1: Harris, scottharris.com.au. You've got to do the .au, that's the Australian part. And if you just Google me, you'll find me. Listen, where I'm most excited about coaching, whether that's becoming a coach or that's getting coaching, I think everybody needs to have coaching in their lives. We've got some great coaches I've trained over the years. Uh, And I'm super excited about something we haven't touched on, maybe something that's attractive to your people. That is what I call planning. And I know it's not sexy, but planning and scheduling and learning really how to master your time so that those five things that are important to you and all of your listeners have got their five things that are important to them, whether it's God or adventure or travel or freedom or whatever. Again, I I have no attachment to what people's top five things are, but the ability to then learn how to plan and schedule those things. I've got some great resources on my website about that as well, because for me, it's, it's a whole different podcasts we can have a chat about so come find me uh, scottharris.com.au and we'd love to serve you and support you we're going to be able to do that all our programs are about to move online in the next couple of months so we're still going to be around we've got our whole team still working here at scottharris.com.au in next 12 months while we're away so there's lots of great resources and lots of just great ways to continue serving and i'm pretty confident Whilst we say we're going to be away for a year, we're going to still be reaching out and teaching and sharing. Might just be through some different vehicles while we're away. That's all.
0: Well, I can't wait to see what you do next and to be a part of that unfoldment. And honestly, like you just, yeah, the planning, let's have you back on. If if you have time next year, great. I would love to do a whole thing on planning because if it's not scheduled, it doesn't happen. At least I've learned that update with destiny through you and Tony. And in the words of Michael Burnett, who's going to be on the podcast soon as well, the CEO of success resources, he Instagrammed recently. With a photo of you after the largest Sydney UPW attendance ever, saying simply, and this is how I feel anytime, any place simply the best. He added my brother from another mother. That's not me. <laughs> but what's so cool is that getting to know you, Scott, I feel like we really did lift, lift the hood, lift the veil, whatever, you know, someone wants to use that analogy on. Um, I didn't know just how cool you are, man. I mean, I figured because Tony only has those people around him, but I didn't know how deeply spiritual and open and, and, and committed you are to really connecting and loving and serving and adoring the people that you care about, including your clients and all of my listeners. I mean, I I'm just I'm blown away by you and I can't thank you enough for your time today
1: you're so sweet thank you so much it really has been a pleasure and delight and I look forward to serving you and all of your team in any way I can in the future and I wish you all
0: magnificent lives live very deliberately and bye for now beautiful thank you Scott have a wonderful day Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard today, please share it with a friend and you can head on over to iTunes to leave me a review. That would be so appreciated. And of course, if you'd like to reach me directly with any comments, questions, or feedback, you can do so at themindsetmashup.com. Thanks again for listening and I look forward to hearing from you. you.